the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, Tonight, in the first two segments, we're going to be talking about the uh, concealed carry situation here in the state of Ohio, and that is concealed carrying of a loaded firearm. And with us tonight, we have uh, a police officer, uh, George Sakalakis. George, thank you for joining us in the studio. Thanks for having me, Nick. 20 years as a police officer. Yes, sir. And and you're here tonight uh, representing the Ohio Patrolman's Benevolent Association, the Ohio uh, PBA. Uh, What is your role with the Ohio PBA? I'm on the executive board. I'm the director of organization with the Ohio PBA. Now, when we think of police organizations representing police officers, we think of the FOP. And uh, maybe not as, as well-known as the Ohio Patrolman's Benevolent Association. Uh, well, tell me about that organization. The FOP is a very similar organization. They do a lot of the same things that we do uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to bargaining representation of uh, law enforcement officers across Ohio. But they're more of an advocacy organization. They they are more active in the state house, And when it comes to lobbying, uh, at least they have been historically. Uh, we've picked that up in recent years. But... They're probably better known because you often hear their positions on various uh, issues across the state. Well, being a police officer, and you are a police officer, and you've been so for like 20-some years, so the the issues that are affecting your organization also affect you on a day-to-day basis. Is that right? Absolutely. Everything that we do in a police union uh, affects what I do on the road every day as a police officer. And that's why an organization like ours is set up that way, where the executive board is comprised of of police officers who are kind of uh, deciding how to run the organization from the perspective of uh, how is this going to help me and my other members while we're working and, and while we have an incident or things of that nature. Well, well, today we want to talk about concealed carry or having people uh, sort of uh, wandering around with loaded firearms, uh, hand-carried guns, and I suppose other kinds of firearms as well. And uh, as a lawyer, I've been doing lawyering for many decades at uh, has gone by quickly, but uh, you know, watching cases uh, that have been coming out on people being charged with carrying a concealed weapon has been a felony. Uh, crimes being committed where someone is in possession of a handgun has enhanced uh, prison sentences that are mandatory. Uh, it's a big deal uh, to have firearms and, and get people involved in law enforcement uh, situations. In this situation, we are going from what to what with uh, the concealed carry changes, which I, I suppose they're calling now constitutional carry. Well, what What is that all about? Yes, well, Senate Bill 215 took effect last month, and what that did was essentially make it legal for any person over 21, not otherwise prohibited, to carry a concealed firearm. Now, we'd have to go back to the uh, early 2000s when the concealed handgun license uh, scheme was enacted in Ohio, 
And that was enacted through a lot of negotiations and a lot of talks with the police agencies and law enforcement agencies Mm -hmm. in the state. And uh, law enforcement has been fairly supportive of that, of a person going to get formal training, applying, uh, in that case, through their sheriff to get a license to carry a firearm. They were trained properly. They had to shoot the firearm to show their proficiency. They were trained on the laws of when to present that firearm, when you're authorized to use it in defense of yourself or others, things of that nature. And that's worked fairly well. We've we've had several problems with it over the years, but the licensing scheme has worked pretty good. And now we're at the point where the state legislature has completely repealed that with Senate Bill 215 and made it legal for any person to carry a firearm with no license, uh, no training, and no background check. A question, a legal question, going back to um, the enactment date, not the enactment date, but the effective date of the statute. Uh, for, for people throughout the state of Ohio who have been charged with violating the concealed weapons uh, statute, does the change in the statute sort of just stop all of those pending uh, criminal prosecutions? Well, that's that's yet to be known for Ohio's law enforcement as far as the rules that they mm-hmm. put out to us. There was a provision to expunge previous convictions, so I'm assuming that uh, those that are currently pending uh, might be going away as well. Uh, if if I now, I mean, I, I went through the class and everything personally, and, and I've been in the military and I worked with police and so on over the years, but uh, just being a regular citizen at, at this point with no license, no training, Based on the strength of this law, can I just uh, go out and take a, a pistol loaded and put it on my belt? Well, yes, you could, Nick. And that's one of our biggest problems with this is that it's, it is now legal for people that have no training that were never uh, officially instructed on when they can use that firearm to now carry that. Uh, one of our problems with that is not so much uh, the average person that just wants to protect themselves. Uh, they are otherwise known as a law-abiding person like yourself that may decide to now carry concealed. But having not had that training, Nick, you and your listeners are not going to know what the legal standard is on when you can use deadly force, when you can present that, when you can point it at somebody, uh, where you can carry it and where you can't carry it. Without any training like that, that's going to cause a lot of problems. And the other issue with that, Nick, is that people are going to be carrying that really, really we should not be carrying that is going to be legal, okay? There's going to be people that are out committing crimes. It's going to be difficult for Ohio's law enforcement to really show the underlying crime that they're committing. That's why the act of carrying a concealed weapon in itself has been a felony for so long. If you remove that now, there's going to be drug dealers, there's going to be people perhaps en route to hurt somebody, uh, domestic abusers that will be able to carry these guns with impunity. It's going to be very difficult for us to peel back that first layer and get to what nefarious actions they're up to. So that's really the other issue that we have with this. Do uh, criminals who have uh, felony convictions and, and other law, uh, criminal convictions, are, do they still have the disability of not being able to carry firearms or have firearms in their possession or ownership? That's correct. It's still going to be illegal for somebody with a felony um, offensive violence conviction or a drug conviction to carry this with an Ohio law. Also, the federal law, you cannot uh, own or carry or possess a weapon uh, with just about any felony. So that's still going to be illegal. But, again, it's going to be difficult for Ohio's law enforcement to get past that first layer and really figure out what's going on there. 
one of our issues with this is the constitutional constitutional issues mm-hmm. that are going to come up. We have, uh, for instance, a Fourth Amendment right against unreasonable search and seizure. And uh, you've all heard of t- stop and frisk, a Terry mm-hmm. frisk. We've seen it on cops. We've seen it on movies over the years. If a police officer happens to feel that somebody's armed before this law and they had the right to conduct a Terry stop or Terry frisk and search for a weapon, just a weapon. Now, with the carrying of the weapon being legal, how is a police officer going to stop somebody outside your house, uh, down the street from your place of work, that may be armed and do anything about it? Mm-hmm. We all believe that the courts are going to overturn any such search like that soon since the underlying carrying of the weapon is now legalized. Uh, the case you're referring to is Terry versus Ohio, uh, United States Supreme Court case, I think. Uh, I actually taught this in a couple of colleges and uh, situations about uh, to law enforcement people, and it was a, a big thing we would discuss with the law enforcement students, the issue of how safe a law enforcement officer feels. And it was a big thing that when a law enforcement officer made a stop, and we're not talking about an arrest, we're just talking about a stop where there's an engagement between a law enforcement officer and a citizen, that if there were signs uh, that indicated that the law enforcement officer's safety might be in jeopardy, then he was allowed to frisk and search this person and, and look for a limited area to see if there's firearms. Has that changed at all? I mean, if a law, law enforcement officer stops somebody and the person looks nefarious or gives those, you have to articulate prob- probable cause on the issue. Uh, do you still have to do that? And if so, can you search these people? Well, yes, we still have to do that. The Terry ruling remains in effect. Uh, the problem with it is if you see a bulge in somebody's clothing or some other indicia that they could be armed, and that would give you that reasonable suspicion to conduct that Terry's frisk. The problem with that is now if you do suspect that they are armed, well, that is now legal. So what are you searching for? You're not searching for anything illegal. Uh, we do believe that eventually the courts will overturn, uh, let's say, a conviction for something criminal related to a Terry stop uh, when somebody's armed in Ohio because now that's no longer illegal. But the, the thrust of Terry was really from the viewpoint of the officer and the safety and protection of the officer. Now, in, in this uh, new, new world with regard to everybody being able to carry weapons, if someone is giving off the signs of being maybe potentially violent or hiding something or uh, acting in a strange manner, uh, you know, the officer still should be able to do that. Probably hasn't gone through the courts yet, but uh, I, I can see that, that coming through. We're, we're going to be taking a short break coming up here, but uh, we're talking to police officer uh, George uh, Sakalakis, and uh, he was a representative of the Ohio Patrolman's Benevolent Association. And we're talking about the uh, constitutional carry law here in Ohio that permits anyone over 21 yes. uh, to be allowed to carry a concealed weapon. So we're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words, so don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHKV Advocate. Don't go away. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In this segment, we're talking to Police Officer George Sakalakis, uh, representative of the Ohio Patrolman's Benevolent Association. 
and um, basically responding to us on the constitutional carry laws here in Ohio that permits anyone 21 years of age or older to carry a concealed weapon pretty much any time, any place. Um, are there any notification requirements of this, George? Well, that was what Ohio law enforcement really advocated for when the concealed mm-hmm. carry law was first passed. It was a notification requirement that put the onus onto the person carrying the weapon that had the license to notify law enforcement that they're carrying a weapon in case they're stopped or have any contact. Well, that's all went away with this bill. Uh, there is no requirement that the person re- uh, notify a law enforcement officer unless the law enforcement officer asks them. Um, there was a lot of debate going back and forth whether this could even be part of the law, but the law does the new law does require a person to answer uh, in the affirmative if they are carrying a weapon if they are asked by a law enforcement officer. Does the law enforcement officer have to articulate some reasons for a probable cause that would give them a basis to even ask the question, or can they just walk up to somebody and say, "Do you have a firearm?" Not to ask, Nick, and it's important for your listeners to know, too, that if stopped, there's going to be a lot more questions going on across Ohio. Mm-hmm. That question is going to be, are, are you carrying a, a pistol today? Are you armed? Uh, that's how we've been trained a- after this law, and we've always uh, made it a habit to ask people that and, and to try to ascertain that if we can. But uh, that question is going to be asked a lot more since that's pretty much all this allows. This is your chance to be talking to everybody who's out there driving with a concealed weapon when they're stopped. What can they expect and what should they do? We're well, talking about the law-abiding people now. Well, for a law-abiding person that wants a smooth encounter with law enforcement, the best thing to do is just immediately tell the officer you're carrying a gun and where it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and stops that we've had, I never had a problem with somebody saying, officer, I'm carrying a gun, it's on my right hip. Uh, if they are a licensee, I know that they've been through the training. I know they went through the trouble of, of getting the license from their sheriff. And those stops have typically went very smoothly. Um, I know where that weapon is. I don't want their hand going near it. They train to not put their hand near it in the class that they took, and everything generally goes fine. Okay, well, now with the current situation where we have opened the door for anyone who thinks it would be cool to carry a concealed weapon, people who are on all levels of the intelligence schedule and scale, uh, for people who may or may not have emotional issues, people who have maybe never even fired a firearm, they have a firearm. Uh, Has there been any experiences reported through your organization as to how that's going so far? And I know we're very close to the enactment of this or the effective day. We we have so little experience on this now since um, mid-June when this went into effect. We don't have any data right now except Mm -hmm. um, just a few anecdotal stories from law enforcement officers. Uh, we want to start collecting some data and looking into this and, and trying to determine the effects of this bill into the future. What are some of the anecdotal stories you've heard so far about uh, people out there that aren't trained? I'm, I'm picturing people who think it's a good idea for self-protection that it's almost the same as carrying a little can of mace, carrying a loaded firearm. Like a, yeah. I'm thinking of uh, a female with a pistol in her purse, and she's never used it, never even fired a weapon. Uh, they when I it comes to mind when we were in the firearms class when I was in the CCW class as a lawyer talking about the fact that no matter how right you are, but be prepared that once you as a civilian pull out a firearm and point it at somebody, your life will change. Uh, and all people can't cope with that the same way. 
So some of the anecdotal stories might be interesting to hear at this stage. Well, we've had stories of road rage incidents where firearms were presented uh, by people who are merely carrying them because it's legal now. Um, in a road rage incident where you're mad at somebody for uh, driving too slowly or not using their turn signal, whatever it might be, law, uh, a firearm really should not come into play there, okay, unless your life isn't put in danger somehow. So we've had reports of things like that where, law, where um, pistols were presented. Responding law enforcement officers had to hash out the details, determine who would be charged, if anybody. And we don't want people getting into criminal charges, getting into the court system if they don't have to. Well, even though you're not being charged, let's say that you had a bad day and you haven't had sleep and you're really at the edge of your own calmness, I suppose, and uh, you really ticked off at some driver and you have a weapon and you, you pull it out and you wave it at them, even point it at them. Uh, even though you have a right to carry, that doesn't mean you're immune from uh, assault with a weapon. I, if I point a weapon at you right now, a loaded pistol, and threaten you, th- that's a felony. And, and whether I have the right to have that weapon or not does not matter, does it not? Well, those are still going to be illegal. And unfortunately, without any training element here, those are the stories that we anticipate we're going to see, mm-hmm. is people presenting these firearms, pointing them at each other, perhaps even shooting. You know, many people have come up to me over my career, Nick, and said, Officer, I don't know how you do it these days, being a policeman. I would just shoot everybody. I watch these, I watch these shows and the way people treat you. I would just be shooting them. And I would thank them for their comments and move mm-hmm. on because I don't want to get into that conversation. But it's true. Right. There's a lot of people out here that uh, without that training, without anybody ever to tell them, hey, you can't do this, are going to do that. And that's what we're worried about as law enforcement officers. Overall, our concern is public safety, the safety of the public and of our own. And we think that this new law is really a bad thing for both. There, there's some tricky things about this law. Uh, for example, if I had a pistol on my belt in a holster, concealed, that would be okay while I'm driving along. And I can have it loaded, and uh, I can just go merrily on my way. Would I be able to take that uh, that firearm off my belt and put it in the glove compartment? Would I be allowed to do that? Or are there any restrictions that might surprise me? Well, the crime of improperly transporting firearms in a motor vehicle would still apply, and that's where you just put yourself, Nick, where you put mm-hmm. that gun into that glove compartment. The Ohio law has not changed on having a firearm in your vehicle, not necessarily on your person, but in your vehicle. They need the firearm to be unloaded, and the bullets need to be in a separate uh, area of the vehicle. Generally, what Ohio law wants to see is you need to exit your vehicle to put the bullets together with the firearm. So that's the legal way to carry a firearm. So it would still be illegal for you to uh, drive with a firearm within your vehicle like that if it's not carried on your person. Uh, a loaded rifle, things of that nature. Those are still going to be violating Ohio law, so I would not advise that. That doesn't seem to make sense. It seems to be uh, sort of contrary to what logic would dictate. If you're allowed to have the gun on your, your belt with with the loaded bullets in it, uh, you should be allowed to take it off and put it in your glove compartment. For example, if you're going to go into a bar, what do you do with your firearm? You can't. You still can't take firearms loaded into bars, can you? Well, you can. If you were a licensee, that law changed several years ago uh, that did allow carrying of firearms into liquor establishments, which has been long prohibited, as long as you were not drinking. Okay, so if you have a concealed carry license, 
uh, or if you don't for that matter now because mm-hmm. your your the restrictions and duties are deemed to be the same whether you have a license or not you can carry it into an alcohol establishment as long as you're not drinking now when we think about going to an, a bar uh, a liquor licensed uh, establishment and having a drink I think most people think they can have a drink or two and not be legally intoxicated. Is are we talking about a different rule here? You cannot be drinking. Period. Uh, if you one have the one drink in the bar. You cannot be drinking alcohol. Even a sip of one drink. No, you can't be drinking alcohol. Then you'd be violating the statute as it stands. Now, what would you be charged with? A felony or a misdemeanor? Well, or? it all depends on, on on the facts of the situation. Uh, we w- won't get into w- exactly what it would be because I don't want your job. By the way, <laughs> it's already <laughs> well. Very few people do confu- these days. Nick, incredibly but, confusing. Yes. Uh, yeah, it, that would be very fact specific uh, on what's being carried. Um, what other crime may, may have been committed? For instance, if, if law enforcement's responding to something like that, it's probably because there was a fight or a disturbance of some sort. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things going on there that we have to kind of peel back layer by layer before we determine that. People driving with a concealed weapon who have a what we call a disability in the law, they're not allowed to have firearms. And uh, the, the red lights and blue lights go on behind them and they pull over and they take that firearm and they hand it over to their passenger. Uh, how how do you how do you deal with that situation? Well, first of all, if that handover is being conducted while the officer is making his approach, that presents a big problem. We don't want that happening. Um, second, uh, you may be getting that person in some trouble because are you sure of their criminal history and, and the issues that they might have? Uh, but essentially, that might be a problem with law enforcement. Yes, and that's a good point. We may be approaching vehicles where somebody. Uh, should not have been carrying a gun, handed it off to somebody real quick that they believe would be legal to carry it, and that person, again, has no clue what to do with it, how to grasp it, uh, how to notify the law enforcement officer, nothing, none of that. Well, we're going to have to have you on again because this is a issue that's not going away and it's just going to become more factually supported one way or the other as time goes on. But uh, I wanted to, to thank George Sakalakis for joining us uh, from the Ohio Patrolman's Benevolent Association. And uh, we'll, we'll have you on again sometime. Thanks for having me, Nick. My pleasure. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of the Advocate for tonight. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're talking to Matt Dolan from the Ohio Senate, finding out what is going on in Columbus with regard to the Senate. Senator Matt Dolan, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. As always. Uh, what is going on with the Senate as we're going through the summertime here in uh, Ohio? Well, we uh, we are on what is officially called our summer break, but what we we have done is uh, finished up our fiscal year. Our fiscal year be, uh, ended June 30th, so as a result of that, we had to get a number of uh, pieces of legislation passed. Uh, the first is the capital budget, which is the in, semi-annual budget, which we fund all of the state facilities around the, uh, the state. You know, think of universities, think of prisons, uh, or any state facility, state park the, uh, around the state. But within that, we also do a community budget where uh, each legislature uh, submits uh, to my office projects that they want done uh, within their communities. 
uh, in terms of capital. And what we do is make sure that those projects tend to be uh, economic development or, you know, help the town, if you will, uh, beautify themselves so that they can attract more businesses, arts and cultures and, and businesses like that. So that's the uh, – we do that every two years. Uh, the significance of this year's capital budget is we're not going to borrow – pay for it. Uh, we're going to pay for it uh, with a combination of ARPA funds uh, and cash because our revenues uh, are exceeding estimates uh, and we want to make sure that the money gets returned to the people as much as we can. Obviously, I'd like to do it through tax cuts, but this is the second best way to do it. And overall, this will save about almost $200 million uh, over the next five years. So I'm, I'm proud of that effort. The uh, the other significant piece of legislation was the Intel uh, project. You know, as you may, your listeners may all be aware, Intel is chosen Central Ohio uh, as the location to build its uh, largest semiconductor factories uh, in the world. And at the end of the day, uh, th there will be about eight factories built uh, by Intel, uh, the first of which is supposed to get started at the end of next year. As part of the competition with other states, of course, we offered uh, credits and other uh, fiscal opportunities for the uh, Intel project, which ends up costing the state. Understand this, that the projections are that the deal we just struck with them was about $200 million worth of tax incentives or tax breaks. Just phase one of this uh, ultimately, six-phase project. Just phase one uh, is expected to bring in over a billion dollars of uh, uh, revenues to the state. So while the $200 million price tag right now seems high, the billion-dollar return uh, is what we're looking at. And that's all we have to invest. The other five phases are going forward without any further state investment. So it is, it is a big, big win uh, for Ohio. And then, of course, what the Senate did, I was able to get done in my committee, is, you know, look, it all sounds great, but what if something goes wrong? So we, we put a clawback provision in that says, look, if Intel doesn't deliver on what they promised to Ohio, then Ohio gets to be able to get their money back. So those are the two biggest things we've done to close out um, the, the legislative session. Oh, excellent. Question about the Intel project. You mentioned there'll be eight factories. Are they all going to be built in the same area or around the state? Yeah, so what's interesting with that, the Intel portion of it will all be built in the same area. It's a massive plot of land in Newark County. But the uh, projections for all the ancillary companies that will need to be built or, or uh, come online, you know, those can be beneficial all over the state. So Northeastern Ohio will benefit. Uh, from Intel coming uh, to to Ohio. It's also a wake-up call for Northeastern Ohio that we better be able to coordinate our economic development a little bit better uh, so that when someone comes looking for, for a big project like this, Northeastern Ohio is ready to act. Um, Central Ohio was ready to go, mainly because they had the land, but they were ready to go a little sooner than Northeastern Ohio. But we will all benefit uh, from Intel being here. You mentioned with the first phase, it will be about $1 billion of recovery uh, to the state. Uh, over what period of time will that be? 
So the first phase should be complete by uh, 2025. Um, what, what is concerning to me is what the Democrats are doing in the Congress, in the House of Representatives. There's a federal law that deals with uh, the ability for domestic uh, chip engineering uh, that passed the Senate, and the House is holding it hostage because they want to put some of their more liberal uh, items attaching it to the bill, and so it's stalled. So that's putting a wet blanket over future investment right now by Intel. They're committed to phase one, but if America doesn't get its act together and Democrats act uh, and get this thing passed, it's not, you know, Ohio just won't lose, America will lose. So they're holding up economic activity and development for our country over other nations, over our enemy, China, uh, just so they can pass some, you know, liberal uh, agenda items such as packing the Supreme Court, uh, such as uh, universal health care. I mean, these are things that need to be, you know, first of all, we're against them, but they need to be debated. But you don't hold up economic development. That's what's happening with the Democrats in Congress. And that would spill over here to Ohio. Uh, would it not uh, prevent the first factory going in under the Intel plan because of the It would not. Uh, the the Intel has committed to phase one, irrespective of whether the CHIPS Act passes in Congress or not. But, you know, that, then, then it just becomes a one-off. You're not developing an entire industry. You're not developing all the ancillary companies. You're not, you're not uh, making sure that your university and your trade schools are putting out enough people to be able to build phase two, three, four, and five, and so forth, and all the ancillary companies. So it it have a real chilling effect. You you mentioned about the ARPA funds, but is that $200 million that uh, we have here in the state? And will, will that have to be repaid back, or can it all be used? So, so the intel is not being paid with ARPA. The intel is either a combination of tax credit to them, or, or or straight grants, which would be general revenue fund dollars. So any taxes that they get credited for or any grants that they receive, if they don't complete phase one, we have the ability to claw back those dollars uh, and get the money returned. Looking at ARPA funds as a separate issue, uh, how many dollars do we have in ARPA funds still available here in Ohio? Yeah, so... Uh, all told, we still have probably uh, just under $3 billion worth of ARPA funds uh, to distribute by the end of 2025. Um, we are slow rolling it because we just don't want to, I mean, with, inflation's real and live, uh, but if we can get people back to work, uh, you know, that helps slow the inflationary costs. Uh, we just don't want to pump a whole bunch of money into the state system. We do want to make sure we pump a lot of economic activity. So we're looking to see if there's one-time uh, projects that can that can be done, one-time capital improvements that would create jobs, but also create revenue sources beyond, uh, you know, nothing that's creating operational dollars in the future. That, that's where we're looking uh, for those dollars. You know, speaking of job opportunities, uh, we. We think about the uh, the food service industry and so on, looking for people to work in it. It seems that the perception is that there are a lot of jobs going unfilled. Now, is, is that a uh, perception that is, is accurate, or do we have enough people to work these jobs? So it is there. It is it is perception. This is where perception meets reality. Uh, work 
workforce shortage is real. Um, there's a number of factors uh, that go into it. One is uh, pandemic. A lot of people just decided to retire. They figured they could they could make it uh, on their retirement packages and didn't need to go into work. Uh, number two is that the federal government under Biden is still subsidizing people to stay home. Uh, the child care tax credit, while that's very important to have child care, sending a check out to individuals is not how you do it. Uh, in Ohio, how we're doing it is we're incentivizing people to get a job. Once they get a job, then we, then they can uh, apply for tax uh, money help for daycare. So, you know, there, there's just a, a disproportionate number of people who have decided for whatever reason to remain out of the workforce. Let's, let's hold that thought for a moment. We're going to take a short break. We're talking to State Senator Matt Dolan about the economy here in Ohio and what the near future looks like. So don't go away. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of the Advocate for tonight. We're talking to State Senator Matt Dolan about uh, the state government and what's going on in the Ohio Senate. Uh, Senator Dolan, thank you again for joining us. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me tonight. Uh, we were talking during the last segment about uh, the employment opportunities here in Ohio and uh, jobs that are going unfilled. So what What is happening here in Ohio on that subject? Yeah, so um, this is, let me finish up. So, yes, our service and travel industry are feeling it, but there's another factor in our healthcare industry. Uh, there's just significant burnout. Uh, and so our hospitals, our medical clinics, our nursing homes, our assisted living homes, they are really, really short uh, of staffing right now. And a lot of it is because people are just physically burned out from all the hours they put in during the uh, pandemic. So, in Ohio, we're doing a number of things. One, uh, we have uh, we also have a truck driver shortage, so we've created a brand new CDL program. We created a tech program where companies can send their people to get trained uh, on new tech, so that they have the ability to buy new new equipment. If you're not employed, you have the ability to apply for what's called an IMAP grant to upskill your your talent. Uh, we are um, creating a new mental health workforce initiative uh, that will help uh, people get trained uh, and get licensed into the medical health field because there's a shortage you know at the school level there's a shortage at the hospital level and you know, private sector level um, in addition to that we are we are waiving some of the licensure requirements so that people can move into Ohio with a uh, uh, either a nursing license or some sort of medical license short of, um, you know, some specialties and get to work right right away. So, uh, but the, the fact, the big factor is we've got to stop the federal government subsidizing people to stay home. And if you look at some of the agenda items they want, the, there again, it's pump more money into the system that goes directly to the individual, which which has the opposite effect of what we want. It causes them to stay home, put more money into the system, cause prices to go up, less labor shortage, 
they have to pay the, the people that, that are working more, which causes prices to go up. So uh, it's just the, the wrong way to approach this problem. Yeah, you know, when we, we talk about incentivizing people to stay home, that was sort of a hallmark of the COVID uh, pandemic that we had. And it, it seemed useful because people couldn't get together without getting uh, COVID or having the risk of getting a serious case of it. But I, I thought we're sort of beyond the COVID pandemic at this point. Again, that's another pandemic. Well, med- medically, medically, I hope we are. And, and, and I hope that if it just remains that people just need to get a, a boost in their vaccination, that's what it is. But you're absolutely right, Nick. There, in a moment in time, uh, it was the appropriate legislation. But like any government program, once it gets started, it's really, really hard to stop it. And the Biden administration, when they took over, uh, rather than reevaluate these programs, uh, they upped them all. They increased them. And, uh, you know, of course, they had the Senate and they had the House, so it passed, uh, you know, without any Republican support. But we are feeling the effects of that now. Um, You know, the gas prices are are, are an issue that, 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 uh, you know, the Biden administration helped facilitate. But your costs at the grocery store, your costs at your services, those are a direct result of the Biden administration pumping a, just a ton of money into the system without people working. Um, and we got to get we got to get away from that. Are we seeing any trends that uh, the federal government is, is cutting back and uh, incentivizing people to go back to work rather than to stay off work? Well. I can't say it's a trend yet, but we do have to, as a Republican, we have to thank Joe Manchin and Senator Sinema from Arizona because they're the ones that are putting a block to some of this liberal uh, agenda that the, the Democrats want to pass through. So without them, we the trend would be going the other way. Um, so it's my hope, obviously, in the 2022 election. Uh, that we get control of the House and we get control of the Senate as Republicans. As you may know, I ran recently ran for the United States Senate in the primary. While I didn't win, I felt like I was the one talking about this very issue, that as Republicans, we got to focus less on what happened in 2020, and we got to be laser-focused on improving this economy, stopping this agenda, stopping the surplus of, of uh, excess cash going to individuals without economic development, uh, that's what Republicans need to be focused on. If we focus on other issues, I'm afraid we will lose, and and the trend you just talked about will be will continue. I just wanted to uh, congratulate you on your your campaign. By the way, it was very good. I thought it was very informative and really set out the Republican principles of what do we think about government and how government should be operating. Uh, because we're now still seeing those issues still playing out. And we're we're not done yet, apparently, until we get the um, economy, I guess, back in shape from the standpoint that we get a hold of inflation. Do you think that in the state we can control inflation or have any impact on inflation other than at the federal level? Uh, I think it's going to take initiative at the federal level. Um, You know, the Federal Reserve is taking their action. Again, I think the Biden administration needs to scale back to government intervention. At the state level, we're, like I said earlier, we're trying to get more people back to work uh, by uh, getting them trained, making sure that they have the proper licensing, uh, and, it, and getting rid of regulations so they can get to work quicker. But it, it is going to take an effort at the federal level 
to recognize that the federal government over the last two years, tentacles have just gone too far into into um, in, into the economy that they stifled the growth of the economy, and, and we're seeing the effects of it now. Yeah, in, in the last several minutes uh, that we have tonight with you, uh, what what's on the agenda for the Senate in the upcoming month? Are there any issues that are going to be the target for attacking and correcting? Yeah, I think um, with the Supreme Court rulings that just came out, I think uh, the Dobbs decision, which which effectively overturned, well, really didn't overturn Roe versus Wade. What it essentially did is say that uh, Roe versus Wade was wrongly decided, and thus the decision on whether or not abortion should be legal should be left to each individual state. So I think in Ohio, obviously, that's going to be a primary issue that we're going to uh, face uh, in our in our final months here of the legislative term. In Ohio right now, uh, the the new law just went into effect, which uh, you cannot have an abortion after six weeks once a heartbeat is detected. The question then will become, do we need to do anything more? Um, Do we have exceptions within that six weeks? And, And perhaps more germane to all of that is, should citizens of Ohio collectively decide decision on abortion because, Nick, no matter what we decide in the legislature, whether we ban abortions without exceptions, whether we ban abortions with exceptions, whether we just keep the heartbeat law in place, it's all going to be challenged by referendum. So ultimately, I think this is going to be an issue that the citizens of the state decide at the ballot box. So I think we owe it to the citizens to have a full and, and frank discussion on this issue uh, and be passionate about what we believe in, that we want a pro-life agenda in Ohio, but recognize that ultimately this is going to end up in the, in the uh, my opinion, it's going to end up as a referendum and the people will decide uh, in an election. Yeah. And everyone is, you know, there are so many different opinions concerning abortion and exceptions and right. so on. Uh, when we talk about a referendum, uh, we're talking about a group of people getting together and uh, advancing their agenda with a petition and getting signatures. But is there any limit to how many petitions can be out there and how many different agendas and how many different proposals can be out there on the ballot at the same time? And would that yes. cause more confusion? Yes, there is. You can't have conflicting. Uh, but but referendum is a little bit different. Referendum would be this is what the legislator passed. And within 90 days, you get a certain number of signatures. You could ask the people of Ohio to say, do you agree with this law or not? Um, So if you're challenging it by referendum, you're not putting forth your own ideas. You're just asking for the citizens to decide. It's the right to petition in the Constitution of Ohio and the United States. Uh, We're going to have to watch this. We're going to have to watch this more carefully uh, as this goes on. We're, yeah. we're unfortunately out of time tonight, but okay. Senator Matt Dolan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, and I look forward to coming back because I'm sure it's going to be lots of uh, activity that would be worthy of talking about with your audience. A lot to talk about. I, I agree. Thank you so much, Senator Matt Dolan. And that's it for tonight. Thank you so much for listening to us. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great, safe, and healthy week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until one
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.